We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Now, should we get to God's Word? So we're in Mark, we've been going through the book of Mark, and um, we've got these books called Mark, and um, perhaps Tim, if... if, um, you don't have one of these, you can grab one, just put, put your hand up, and uh, thank you, Tim will bring one to you, um, keep it high up, if, um, if, we, uh, if we run out, Tim, grab some Bibles and just give people a Bible, but um, these, these are, I'm, we're hoping that by the end of this series, uh, you know, many of us will have basically a book full of notes on the Gospel of Mark, and uh, hopefully you're enjoying the series so far, and uh, I think it's been great to just step into um, what God would say to us through this Gospel. And so, if, you, if you're here for the first time, can I just say, you're so welcome, it's so great to have you with us. I'm Chris, and I get the joy of uh, leading uh, the leadership team here at Hope Church and uh, just to put you at ease don't worry if you haven't heard any of the previous talks uh, this will I'm sure this will bless you and do you good this morning as we step into into Mark and so I'm going to read the passage and then we'll work through it and see what God has to say to us so here we go we're in Mark chapter 6 we're going to go from verse 30 through to the end of the chapter Um, so if you've got one of these it's on page 44 um, which is a little number at the top top left-hand corner. Here we go. It will also appear on the screen, and I've called today's talk 24-7 Faith. Here we go. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because um, so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves um, to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. But this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them... Oh, and buy them something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, hey, we've got five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land." 
He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus, and they ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. There you go. This is the word of the Lord. And um, so what's quite amazing is that um, the people, uh, the disciples have, um, in the previous Part, had been out, they'd been um, telling people about Jesus, been sharing the good news, they'd been uh, doing that, and now they've come back and they're probably exhausted uh, as well as exhilarated from their day and they just want to tell Jesus about all that's taken place and all that's happened. And um, I just wonder, do you, something to think about, do you ever come home from work maybe to your your housemates, to, to your flat, wherever you might be, into your halls of residence, maybe to your family, and you've had a great day, you're kind of exhausted, but you're also exhilarated, and you get in, and what you want to do is you want to tell everyone about the day, but then kind of the reality of life hits. For me, it happens where, you know, I've had a great day, and, you know, I come home, I want to tell Catherine about it, and then I'm kind of hit with screaming and crying children, the house is a mess. And um, I'm expecting in my head to kind of come in and there's like a nice roast dinner on the table, polite children sitting nicely, clean house, you know, maybe a bath run for me. I wonder if that's what the disciples were thinking because they, they'd been out, they'd done the stuff for Jesus, they'd been on mission and now they want to come and they want to sit and tell him about it. But there's a flipping crowd around. And they're just, they don't understand that the disciples just want to chill. They just want to relax with Jesus. And they're, they're gathering all around and they're getting in the way. We find that right at the beginning. Um, the, the, in fact, the disciples in verse 31, they didn't even have a chance to eat. You know, they just, oh, I mean, imagine that, going home. Not even a chance to eat. And, and so they're, they're kind of devastated. The disciples, they just got back from their first missionary journey. They're exhilarated, they're exhausted, they've not had a chance to eat, and they're about to find out that being a disciple of Jesus is 24-7. It's 24-7 faith. It's not that I do my little missionary bit, I go out into the town, I say something, or I go to my friends and I say something, and then I come back and chill. No, no, it's 24-7. There's always need. There's, there's always more to be done. There's always something that Jesus wants to teach us and learn, grow in us and disciple us in. The, the crowds, they don't realise that the disciples want time off and so they're crowding around Jesus. And, but Jesus, he kind of, he knows, that what, he knows what the disciples need. And so in verse 30, um, at the, towards the end of verse 31, he says, well, come by yourselves, let's go to a quiet place. And they long for that and they... They go out off with him, and yet what happens is that um, many 
who saw them leaving recognized them. Verse 33 this is. And they ran ahead on foot from all the towns. They got there ahead of them. And I just imagine that the disciples must be so frustrated. Oh, this is so annoying. You know, I, I want, I, we just want to have time with Jesus to tell him about all that's gone on. And, and yet, Jesus' reaction to the crowds are so much different, isn't it? The disciples are probably frustrated, they're tired, they're exhausted, they want to just hang out with Jesus, they want to tell him what's gone on, they want to eat because they're hungry, they've not had a chance to do that. And in verse 34, it tells us how Jesus reacts. When Jesus landed, who also, by the way, had just found out about John the Baptist dying, found out about that last week, had also, you know, been serving and ministering. When he landed, he saw the large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion. It's a very, very different to response to the disciples. And, um, and yet, the disciples, they can kind of no longer conceal their frustration. They're like, and what happens in the next verse, or verse 36? They say, send the people away. Can you imagine? How, how deceitful are their hearts that all these people have come to crowd around Jesus to listen to him speak to maybe receive a healing, to receive a touch. And the disciples, all they can think about is themselves. And they say, send the people away. <laughs> Imagine us doing that on a Sunday. Do you know what? Oh, I'm a bit tired this morning. You... Church is cancelled. Send them away. Yeah. Imagine. And yet, don't we, we, we all have deceitfulness and corruption in our hearts, don't we? And we can, sometimes we can do something amazing for God and then we come home and the very people that God has placed in our lives, our family, can be the ones who we don't care for, we don't look after because we're tired and we're exhausted and you know, we expect things from them, we don't take care of them and we can treat them badly. And you know, these, these, The disciples had literally been told to go out on mission to serve people and, now, and they were going out in twos and they pro- it's estimated they probably visited about five houses between them. And now all these crowds are gathering because they want to hear this good news of the gospel. Send them away. Shocking. And, um, and yet Jesus, I love it, because he, he's like, verse 37, well, you give him something to eat. Come on. You're a 24-7 disciple of mine. You give him something to eat. You sort it out. The disciples, they don't think of God's provision, but of the catering bill. And they're kind of like, they're doing the maths. 5,000 men, Plus, then there'll be women and children. This really should be the, the feeding of the 10,000 plus, not the feeding of the 5,000. And the disciples are appalled at the size of the bill. And they're like, hey, that would be like half a year's wages. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Half a year's wages? That's like a brand new car today, isn't it? And um, their focus is on the need and not on God's provision. And so verse 38 Jesus, he, he draws them in. He says, hey, look, how many loaves have you got? And they return. And the news is, hey, Jesus, look, we've got barely enough for us 12. We've got five loaves of bread. We've got two fish. There's barely enough for just us here. Um, sorry, I always get it the wrong way around. Yeah, it's five loaves and two fish. I always say like five fish and two loaves. Anyway, um, there's barely enough for us as it is, let alone for the crowd. And in... In their frustration, in their tiredness, in their annoyance, Jesus, I find this really interesting, he doesn't send them off for a nap. He doesn't say, yeah, you're right, I can see you're tired. 
I can see you're exhausted, you're excused. Go and, go and lie down, go and have a nap. Instead, he draws them in. He says, no, no, this is 24-7 faith. This is 24-7 discipleship. I'm going I'm to work with you, even through your exhaustion and through your tiredness, I'm going to work with you through this. He doesn't send them away. Instead, he includes them in this amazing miracle. Do you know, this morning, even on, in, in your tiredness, in your weariness, in your frustration, in, in my tiredness, we're in, do you know what? Jesus is able to do an amazing things. He is able to heal, as we've been praying. He is. He's a good father. He gives good gifts. He's able to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He's able to empower you. He's able to show you his unrelenting and undeserving and unearned love that you might be filled and know his grace and his compassion, that you might be strengthened and restored. And, and amazingly, that's what he, he includes him in this miracle. And in verse 42, um, where there was barely enough bread and fish for all the disciples combined, did you notice that each of them take a basket, every single one of them, and they go, all 12, and they go and they fill up the whole basket with the leftovers. Where they've been tired, they've been exhausted, they haven't had a chance to eat, and now Jesus blesses them abundantly. In the midst of their kind of pain and frustration and their annoyance, Jesus involves them in the miracle and then shows them abundance blessing and abundant grace and abundance provision, all because they were willing to obey, all because they were willing to just step into what he had called them to do. They discover that their needs are better fulfilled serving Jesus and others than serving themselves. See, that's incredible, really, isn't it? It's a bit like, it is a bit like me coming home and, and seeing the roast dinner and seeing the bath and seeing the wonderful kids and, and you doing the same. They are so abundantly blessed, more than they can imagine, because they stepped into what Jesus had called them to, even in the midst of all their kind of frustration and pain. They were obedient, and it's through our obedience that actually we can see great fruitfulness, even despite what we might be feeling, despite what we might be uh, going through. I, isn't Jesus just so gracious? I, isn't he just so loving that he would, you know, with all their negative thoughts, that he would still involve them and then bless them amazingly? I, I just think it's incredible. Uh, he invites them in, he fills them, and they are overflowing in abundance. That obedience leads to refreshment. How, are they really, how do they really find rest? That's what they wanted, didn't they? They wanted to go off to find rest, and they were annoyed that the crowds were around and wanted them to send away. How did they really find rest? They found rest in actually trusting Jesus and being obedient to him. You know, there is a difference between physical tiredness and spiritual tiredness, and the, the need for both is different. When we are physically weary, or no, sorry, when we're spiritually weary, when we feel that God is distant, when we feel that he is away, the answer is not to step away from him, but it's a step right into all that he calls you to. Step into obedience, a step into reading the Bible, a step into prayer, a step into coming to worship, a stepping into Sundays, a stepping into groups, a stepping into what he would have for you. And whilst it, you know, the alarm goes off and it's like, oh, do I need to serve again? I mean, poor James, he was in York this morning at three o'clock. And he's drove back from York to lead us in worship. And I, I pray that God blesses him abundantly as he served us today and as, as he continues to. 
And yeah, there he is at the back. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed you're not falling asleep, mate. But thank you, know, thank you for. <laughs> it's, don't, this is Sam. This is all Sam. Um, yeah, it's, it's just in, incredible generosity. And you know, I'm praying for him that God is filling him, and and each of us actually as we step into obedience. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, and do you know what? And Jesus, he actually demonstrates that because uh, we find out that he, when he sends them off into the boat, they go into the boat and they're on the boat. What's Jesus doing? Because it's at the end of the day, they've served the crowds, it's night time, they get into the boat. Does Jesus go to bed? No, the, the passage tells us that he goes and prays. It says in verse um, 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him while he dismissed. So, so they're chilling in the boat. Jesus is now dismissing the crowds. He's sorting them out. So he's continuing. He's doing his work. After leaving the crowds, he then goes up to a mountainside to pray. And Jesus then prays all night. It says later that night, he saw the boat in the middle of the lake. He saw the wind going in the wrong direction. Because when you have a sailboat, you need the wind behind you so you can move forward. The wind is going in the wrong direction. And so he can see them oaring and straining at the oars. And um, that phrase, later that night, is actually like really shortly before dawn. And so he's been praying and shortly before dawn he sees them and that's when he goes out to them. Jesus demonstrates that how to find refreshment and rest in God is actually by, by through prayer. It's th- through worship. It's through coming into God's presence, not going away from his presence. Um, Jesus demonstrates that prayer in private is the source of his power in public. Prayer in private is the source of Jesus' power in public. When when we come to uh, worshipping God when we come to prayer when we come to spiritual disciplines I want to encourage us all to remember that um, being a disciple of Jesus is not coming to church on a Sunday and praying to God between the hours of 10 and half 11 it's 24-7 faith it's 24-7 prayer that we're called that during the week you know to, to have our eyes open to, to look at our neighbours to interact with them to see what they're doing and as we do that we, we get our energy and our refreshment and our rest- restoration from the one who gives it all the one who is overflowing who has abundant who has enough to fill your whole basket full of bread and fish more than the disciples could have dreamed or imagined more than those five loaves and the two fish could have been shared amongst all of them actually in their obedience in their serving and serving others in serving Jesus they find that they're fully filled and this Jesus that we worship and um, this one that we worship this one is um, is revealed to us in this passage in incredible ways so I'm just going to go back through this um, these, this story and um, I just want to show you something which I think is just amazing and that is that throughout this story we see echoes of Exodus and, um, and what's happening is that Mark is revealing to us because throughout the first whole half of the book of Mark basically Mark is revealing and Peter as he's preaching he's revealing to us who Jesus is 
how Jesus is the Messiah, how Jesus is God, how Jesus is the King of Kings, how he has all authority. And we see him healing, we see him uh, releasing people from demon possession, we see him uh, breaking chains, we see good news being restored. We've just seen this amazing miracle taking place. And lots of this is parallels to everything that happened in Exodus. And so if you remember the story of Exodus, that's where the people of God are taken by Moses Uh, released from Pharaoh, the ten plagues come, they come out of uh, Egypt, they come into the wilderness, they spend 40 years in the wilderness before going into the promised land. And so let me just give you some parallels so that we know who this Jesus is that we should come to find our refreshment in, our restoration in. So the first thing then, the parallels and echoes of Exodus is the the fact they're in the wilderness. And so we know that the... um, Uh, The Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness. And so when it says um, they went away by themselves, this is verse 32, um, to a solitary place, that is not the best uh, translation. It's actually they went away to to a nearby desert. They went away into the wilderness. And so we've got this, this picture now, this mirroring, that Jesus is taking these people out into the... Now, anyone... Yeah, into the wilderness. Any one of these on their own, by the way, you might think, oh, that's a bit far-fetched. Hey, when you see it all together, I've got nine of these, so, you know, strap in. Um, when you see it all together, I think you'll see how this is ex- echoes of Exodus. So, so they go out into the wilderness. Now, when, um, and the people of God, Israel, they left, they left Pharaoh, they also went out into the wilderness where God's met them in amazing ways. Jesus quotes, actually, when they go out into the wilderness, in verse 34, Jesus says, when he landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. Why did he have compassion on them? Hey, because they were sheep without a shepherd. And uh, equally, in Numbers, we see Moses says to the Lord, hey, may the Lord who gives breath to all living things appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in. So the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. There's this moment where Moses is looking on to seeing the people go into the promised land and he sees the people and he sees that they're a mess, that they're astray. They're in the wilderness and there's a people who need help, need healing. And Jesus similarly is in a wilderness place, in a barren place on a mountainside. These people, they need help, they need healing. They're like sheep without a shepherd. That's what Jesus quotes. And what happens is that Moses appoints Joshua then to then take him into the land. Joshua, his name means the Lord saves. Or its Greek version, Jesus. Jesus is appointed back this Joshua appointed back then to take them into the promised land. Jesus is here in, you know, in, in this place, be, meeting them and seeing them. This is echoes of what's going on in Exodus. Um, verse 39, it tells us, um, Mark loves to give us detail, tells us about this green grass. And we're like, oh, what's that about? What's green grass about? Well, in Galilee, in the Middle East, you only get green grass at one time of year. And that is when the spring rains come, just before Passover. Passover is another echo of Exodus where the people of God, how did they escape the final plague of death? It was because they slayed a lamb and put his blood on the doorpost and every single person who had enough faith to trust in the blood of the innocent lamb was saved and taken into the promised land. And in in the same way, we see here that they're just getting ready to go into... um, 
uh, go into, go leading up to a Passover time. There's green grass on the land, and here we have Jesus with people in the wilderness, feeding them, um, getting ready to take them, or yeah, getting ready to reveal Himself to them. And throughout the Old Testament, there are this this kind of phrase, green grass, comes up several times. So, like in Ezekiel chapter 34. Um, there is this prophetic picture that Ezekiel has from God that there was going to be a shepherd, a good shepherd, who comes and gives good green pasture to his flock, that he will meet them in Israel, in the wilderness, that he will heal them and bind uh, all their like all their chains, and in. Psalm 23, one of my famous psalms that all the Jewish people that were here at the feeding would know. Psalm 23, it says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green past green grass. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Doesn't come from Netflix, I'm sorry to say. Doesn't, doesn't come from McDonald's or whatever. Your soul is refreshed from the Lord. Yeah, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, whatever I face, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Even in the midst of a wilderness place, the Lord is able to provide amazing meal to those who come to him. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows like the baskets, overflowing for each of the disciples with bread and fish. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's amazing. Um, another one, number four. Um, did you notice that uh, Jesus arranged them in groups of hundreds and fifties? In exactly the same way, Moses who is in the wilderness, who has a bunch of people who are like sheep without a shepherd, who are lost. In Exodus chapter 18, we find out that he arranges them in groups, groups of hundreds and fifties, that they might be taken care of, that they might be fed, that they might be uh, restored. I mean, the most obvious one, which you're probably surprised I haven't said yet, is that they are literally given bread from heaven. Manna from heaven comes to the people of God, the Israelites, whilst they are in the wilderness. In fact, after a while, they grumble at this manna that they've been eating. And so God, in his graciousness, sends them quail and, and quail eggs, I think, which is like fish. And so in Exodus, we have people in the wilderness, grouped in hundreds and fifties, being fed bread and fish by the Lord's gracious provision. And here we have this echo, Jesus in the wilderness, grouping people in hundreds and fifties, feeding them bread and fish in a miraculous, miraculous way. Amen? Oh, I didn't click. Man from heaven. There you go. Is this, is this, am I, is it, am I the only one excited by this? Yeah, it's exciting. Hey, thank you, Lucy. Right. Um, we talked about the 12 baskets um, being, you know, for every single individual disciple was abundantly blessed, weren't they? They picked up their basket. That's the very thing they wanted. They were tired, they are exhausted, and yet God blesses them abundantly. I imagine they went and ate it. They might, you know, we know they're hungry. They probably wouldn't eat the whole basket because it's too much. But they're blessed. 
But this, um, <clears throat> when, when we look back at the echoes of Exodus, then we remember actually that this number 12 comes through a lot. In fact, we often hear about the 12 tribes of Israel and Jesus is in um, Jewish territory where he's feeding people who, and these 12 tribes of Israel are like a representative of all the people of God. And so he does this amazing miracle. There's 5,000 people are fed and these 12 baskets are like a representation that Jesus has He is sufficient, he has enough sufficiency to be able to satisfy the needs of all the people of God, all the 12 tribes. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to hear about another miraculous feeding where Jesus feeds the 4,000. This happens in two weeks' time. A guy called Toby is going to come and preach to us on that passage. And that time, Jesus isn't speaking to Jews, but he's speaking to Gentiles. And Gentiles are people who are not Jewish. And he feeds 4,000 people this time. And at the end of that feeding of the 4,000, there are also baskets left over, but there's not 12 baskets left over. Does anyone know how many baskets are left over there? Seven. Seven, yeah. There's seven baskets left over. And those seven baskets, if we, if we go back into Exodus, and you've got 12 and seven, the 12 represents the tribes of Israel. Jesus is sufficient to supply all the needs for all the 12 tribes of Israel. Everyone who is from the lineage of Abraham. When they went into the promised land, there were seven nations, seven foreign nations. And throughout the Old Testament, we see glimpses of people from those nations being restored, like Rahab, hey, being accepted into the people of God, Ruth the Moabite, being accepted into the people of God. And now Jesus, he comes, and in that second feeding, he says, you know what, my grace is sufficient not just for the tribes of Israel, not just for the Jews, but for all the nations of the world. I have enough to satisfy the soul of every single person who comes to me. And that is good news for me and you, because I imagine that very few of us are Jewish here today. It means that we can enter into God's presence and we can know his faithfulness and his love. In Exodus, when they come out of Israel, an amazing miracle happens on the water as the waters are parted. And as they go through the wilderness, they enter into the promised land and the Jordan is also parted again as Joshua leads them into the promised land. And here, right at the end of this feeding of the 5,000, Jesus does an amazing miracle on water as he walks on this water. And he demonstrates that God's authority over heaven and earth, over nature over all things is Jesus' authority over heaven and earth, over nature and over all things, as he's able to command the storm to be still, as he's able to walk on the water. And he shows, he's revealing to us, Mark, through his words, are revealing to us, hey, look, look at what happened next. Hey, know, know and see that this is the same God in Jesus at work today through, through this got two left he it says that he goes to pass them by and um this is verse 48 um he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them shortly before dawn he went out to them he walked on the lake and he was about to pass them by you know it's not like he thought i'm gonna sneak by them whilst they're struggling and hope that they don't spot me oh they've spotted me i better help them that's That's not what's going on. Instead, he wants to reveal his glory to them. And so in the same way, when we uh, read in Exodus chapter 3, Moses um, is speaking to God 
and he's, he's basically saying to God, hey, God, how, how, how do I know that you're real? How do I know that you're with me? And uh, God, he, he comes to him, and um, he, he protects, he, he kind of, God says to him, hey, you can't see my face because my glory is too good, and no one can see my glory and live. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover your eyes, and I'm going to pass you by as I reveal my glory to you, and then you can turn and look at my back, and you'll see my glory. As Jesus is walking on the walk of passing them by, it's exactly the same words. He is revealing his glory to them. That's what this is saying. He's not trying to sneak by, hoping they don't notice. He's, he's walking by, revealing his glory, revealing God's glory through him to them. The last one I want to mention... Oh, oh, I did. I was thinking, oh, I th- anyway, here you go. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you on a cleft on the wall. This is where, uh, in ex- oh, it's Exodus 33, not Exodus 3. My bad. Okay, the last one is that, oh, my PowerPoint's gone wrong. Um, Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. The disciples are, are scared. They're terrified. They're on this boat, and Jesus turns to them, and he, like Mark does often, he has this sandwich, and he's like, take courage and don't be afraid. Well, how do we know that we can have courage and not be afraid? How do we know that? Hey, because it is I. This, that phrase, it is I, is awo ibe. It's I am. It's the exact same phrase that God uses to Moses, that's in Exodus 3, where God meets him at the burning bush and he says, I am who I am. I am the Lord. Moses is saying, hey, who should I say has sent me? And God says, say, I am has sent you. And Jesus turns up on the water from the wilderness, having fed them with bread and fish, having arranged them, having sat them down on green pasture having seen that they're like a sheep without a shepherd as having come as the great shepherd and says hey do you know what you can take courage you don't need to be afraid because I am the great I am this is the Jesus that we come and worship this morning this is the Jesus that we call to that we pray to this is the Jesus that we come and we give our allegiance to that we we live 24 7 faith for he's not just a good teacher, though he's a great teacher. He's not just a prophet, though he's a great prophet. He's not just a man, though he is 100% man. He's not just God, although he's 100% God. He is Jesus. He is the one who is utterly different from me and you. He is the one who can restore you, refresh you. He can fill you. And um, as, amen. And as we get ready to finish, I just want to. this person who we can come and find rest in, this is where the disciples ultimately wanted rest. They wanted rest, didn't they? And Jesus revealed to them his glory. And I bet, I bet they weren't tired after this episode. You know, I bet having seen the amazing miracle of food, having seen the walking... I mean, we haven't talked about this person who come and... These people that come and touch the edge of his cloak at the very end of the chapter and get healed... Who, who, it is Jesus is one who provides, who loves, who cares and who gives. Let me just finish by reading you the I am statements about Jesus, that Jesus says of himself. These actually come from John's Gospel. And, um, and as I do, maybe the worship team can come up because this is the one who we're going to come and worship, who we're going to look to to have our faith in. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's John 6.35. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know what your life looks like at the moment, but if you feel like darkness is surrounding you, then come to Jesus. Lay it at his feet. Invite him again into your life, into your home, into your workplace, into your street. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I and will go in and out, and he will find pasture, refreshment, restoration, satisfaction. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's the one on this Remembrance Sunday who identifies with everyone who's lost their life. And more than that, gives up his life for everyone, for the whole world, that they might come and know him, be restored and reconciled to their father. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You might be known sickness, pain, suffering today. Do you know what? Even if you die, you can know life in him. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you put your trust in him? Do you know him? And Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can, you can do nothing. That's so much good news to me. Jesus, if you're not going, I'm not going. (laughs) There's nothing we can do without him. He's the one that bears the fruit. We just get the joy of being grafted into his vine and see him do great things. Let's stand. We're going to worship. And um, let me just pray for you. There was lots in there. So whatever you need to hear and receive, do take hold of that, do process, do, you know, work with God on it, do talk to life group leaders, to others, but let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a wonderful Father. Jesus, I thank you that you gave up the riches of heaven to come to this earth. Holy Spirit, I thank you that even now we can know your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy that overflows, that we can know that our cup can overflow, we can know an abundant grace in you. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can know a goodness that we can satisfy fully, that we can restore fully. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the glory of God. Thank you that you have made yourself known to this earth. Lord, we, we often cry out, hey, God, if you are real, show yourself to me. Thank you, Jesus, you have. <laughs> Thank you that you have revealed the Father to us. Thank you that you've come and shown your glory in this place, in the darkness. Thank you that we can look to your light, that we can look to your love, that we can look to your grace and your redemption and your mercy, and we can trust you and follow you, be obedient to you, that we can serve you, and Lord God, that actually we can trust that in serving you, 
In knowing you, Lord God, we are filled more than we can ever imagine. Thank you, Lord, that we learn through your example that prayer in private is the source of of anything that comes good. Lord, we pray. Help us. Help us, Lord God, to be a people that pray. Help us to be a people that worship. Help us to be a people who love you, who adore you. Help us, Lord, to know that you are utterly different to us. Thank you that we are human. Thank you for our faults and failings. Thank you, Lord God, for the disciples' faults and failings. Even in the midst of that, those horrendous thoughts, even those words, oh, send them away, Jesus. Lord, we don't want to know. Not today. Thank you, Lord God, that you are so gracious. You are so patient that you, you <laughs> involve them. Thank you, you involve us. Thank you, Lord God, for all our faults and failings. Lord, for some reason, you choose to involve us. Not because we are good, far from it, but because you are good, because you are gracious, because you are merciful, because you are the good shepherd, the one who we come to today, the one who we know satisfies our soul, the one who we trust in and obey. In your heavenly name, amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.